Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Good morning, everyone. If you got a Bible with me, you might want to turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to read that and then hold your finger there. We're going to go to John chapter 6 in a second. You know, my wife told me recently that I have to quit pretending to be a flamingo. So I just had to set my foot down. (laughs) How can you tell the difference between a, a boy ant and a girl ant? Well, you drop them in water. The girl ant sinks, but the boy ant is buoyant. It'll float. Uh, that's one of those jokes that sort of goes a little bit at a time. Buoyant uh, floats. Anyway, and I like jokes like that. I like jokes that I get out of some people and others are like, what did he, what did he say? I don't get it. Yeah, anyway. Uh, so this sermon series is about party. We've been talking about party for a while and how Jesus changes every party that he shows up at. You know, we have a, a mentality about party in our culture that um, honestly, I, I can, just a second, can I just talk freely for a second? Um, you know, um, there's a change of culture going on in our world right now. Um, when I was growing up, there was no instant gratification for basically anything. And especially people older than me, there was no instant gratification. Um, You wanted something, you had to work for it, you had to spend extra time for it. There was no endorphin rush of instant gratification. You wanted something, you had to cook it, you had to make it. Microwaves were just starting to come out when I was a kid. Believe it or not, there was a time that people didn't have microwaves and you actually had to turn a stove on to heat things up or to cook things, you know. Not everything came out of a can. And and, um, that generation... Everything was a delayed gratification of one in need and that that there's a different mentality Well, we have a whole generation now can I borrow your phone for just a second? Um, we have a whole generation that they've grown up now with with these around and what these are doing is These have taught us that you know the ding on the notification goes off and and you're like seeing who you know liked what you liked or commented on your posts. And, and whether you guys know this or not, there is literally a chemical reaction that happens in your brain when this thing dings. Did you know that? That chemical reaction releases endorphins into your body that they're the same endorphins that you get whenever you like smell good food or about to eat it or, or you get turned on sexually or whatever it may be. Those are the same endorphins. So you've been trained that there is a buzz for you at all times and pleasure is a second away from you. Y'all getting this here? So there's there's a transition going on in our world right now. And this transition is one that, um, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying, I don't understand why all these old people are saying stuff about coronavirus. Like, so what if I get it, you know? I got to go to work. I got to hang out with people. I got to do blah, blah, blah. And they're like, how can that be? And that's because, remember, there's a whole generation that's being trained 
by your social media and by the things you hold in your hands to view life differently than an older generation. Now, I'm not going to call either one of them right or wrong. That's not my purpose. And what I'm saying here is, what I'm saying is, though, is that we do have two separate approaches to the world now. And part of the reason that some of the tension we're experiencing as a culture is happening is we have the older generation that believes that, that gratification comes only at the end of pain. And then we've got a younger generation that believes pain has nothing to do with gratification. And, and what I would like us to do is the older generation to understand the youngers and to help them and the younger generation to listen to some of the olders because they got some real good things to teach you about how to live your life. So are y'all getting what I'm saying? The, the wisest thing we can do is actually learn to like and interact with one another and at points actually have older people talking to younger people and actually talking about things rather than ignoring each other. So what Jesus did was he showed up and every time he showed up to one of these environments with these multiple ages of people, he was actually the one that was teaching and talking and giving life into the party because he saw people as individuals, not as just a group think, not just as a crowd. Now, anybody ever been in a crowd? Have ever been in a crowd? You remember what those were like? You know, you go to a Browns game or something. Early in the season, you go to a Browns game. Not late in the season, early in the season. There's a big crowd there, right? Late in the season, not so big a crowd, right? Uh, yeah, I remember going, uh, somebody gave us tickets when the Cavs were in the playoffs years ago, and we went to that, and the room was rocking. It was a crowd. And, you know, crowds, though, we view crowds as a whole bunch of nameless faces people, but God views every person in that crowd as an idea identity as, as an, an individual with their own identity. And a couple years ago, me and my son, we went to, we went to a crowd. Um, this is a, a rock festival. It wasn't just a concert. It was like two days, but we bought a day-long ticket. And there were 20,000 people there that night. There were two huge stages going back from one to the other. And he said to me, my favorite band's going to be there. And I said, well, yeah, who else? And he said, your favorite band's going to be there. So I was like, all right, you know. So there we are at the right at Chevelle. There, Chevelle, I think, has just taken the stage. And uh, if you don't like Chevelle, may God have mercy on your soul. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, it, it, my favorite band and they rocked the place. They didn't talk. They just rock and rolled. It was great. And, uh, but you know, I, I looking at the crowd and they were annoying cause they were always in my way. And then there were those in the crowd that were moshing. Y'all know what moshing is, right? Where you run and you bump into people and there were people with blood dripping from them and all this stuff was going on around me. And, and I'm watching the people thinking, isn't this crowd crazy? It's just crazy. And then I realized, whoa, whoa. See the dude there in the white with his arm like this? He's somebody's son. He's got a mama. He's got a daddy. He probably has some friends in this world. You know, he's got dreams. He wants to accomplish something. He wants to have a feeling. He, he wants to probably get married and have kids. He probably wants to have significance for the work he does. He actually has feelings about the world that's going on around them and ideas about what's right and wrong. That, that guy right there. See the guy down there in the black hat, the lady in front of him, same thing for him. See that guy way on the other edge of the crowd, same thing. You know what I learned years ago is that every one of the people in a crowd are individuals 
with their own dreams, their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own feelings. And Jesus loves every one of them. Every one of them are important to him. And if you ever feel like you're just a face that's a useless face in the middle of nothing and you have no reason, I want you to know that God not only knows you, he loves you passionately and he sees you as an, as a, as an individual that he loves and cares for. You know, rush hour traffic, though. You guys struggle with this, right? Anybody ever drive in rush hour traffic? All I see are cars and fingers. <laughs> but every one of those people is somebody God loves and died for. So the passage we're going to talk about today is Jesus' biggest miracle among his most, probably his biggest crowd ever, and this is going to be the feeding of the 5,000. But before we do it, we need to set the stage a little bit because there, this story doesn't happen in isolation. So if you would, I'm going to make a circle. I'm going to call this the Sea of Galilee. Everybody see the Sea of Galilee? I'm covered underwater. Anyway, Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was down here in the armpit of the Sea of Galilee. I'm sorry. No, he really wasn't. He was down in this area. And and he was doing these miracles and he had done something. He had taken his disciples. He had sent his disciples out and the disciples went out and they preached the good news of the kingdom of God. And they went out and they, uh, oh man, they, uh, they healed the sick and they cast out demons and they were like pumped up. They come back to Jesus and they're like pumped up and they get to Jesus and they're going to, they're going to defrag, right? It's like after every dance that my kids ever went to, you wait up because what do you want to do? You want to talk to them. You, you come here, let me smell your breath. No, anyway, sorry. No, I just, oh yeah, a little bit of that, right? And, but everything, you know, we want to defrag. I want to hear the stories. I come home from camp. That was always my favorite. The day they came home from camp, because we'd go to the lid, the kitchen table and we would sit and listen to their stories and let them defrag, let them talk about all the things that experienced. Right. All right. So the disciples have gone out and they've seen all these incredible miracles and Jesus needs to guide their thought processes through what they experienced. But the crowd is so massive around them that they didn't even have time to eat, let alone talk. And somebody comes up to him in the middle of that and says, hey, you, one other thing just happened. Herod Antipas just killed John the Baptist. And by the way, the armpit was Herod Antipas's area. Are y'all following me? This was his area. So Jesus, seeing he can't get a bite to eat, he needs to talk to his disciples. And Herod Antipas just killed his cousin and is coming after Jesus. He says, let's get in a boat, guys. Let's go across the lake. So they get in a boat and they go across the lake up to Bethsaida up here. So that's where we pick up the story. So it's in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? It says, they did not even have a chance to eat. So he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Wouldn't it be great to have a quiet place? A quiet place where cell phones and internet do not work where nobody bugs me and I can have a cup of coffee and read a book or a Bible and I can sit and take a walk in the woods and talk to Jesus. Doesn't that sound amazing? Anyway, come away with me to a quiet place and let's get some rest. I had a buddy call me this past week. He texted me and he said, hey, I've got a cabin in the woods a certain number of days. You want to join me? I was like, heck yeah. So 
absolutely. Phones don't work there, absolutely. No internet, absolutely. A couple of days reading the Bible, praying, hanging out with a brother or two and, and seeking Christ and praying together and talking together, sounds like a blast to me, right? Yeah, come away for a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now, hold on, hold on. Here's the lake. They're going from here to here. And as they're going across the lake, these people see them taking off. By the way, you know, they could see them because the Sea of Galilee, we think sea, it's not a 50th, 100th the size of Lake Erie. We're talking about lake. And you could literally see people in the middle of the lake while you were running around the edges. So they knew where Jesus was going to be. So can you imagine all these people running and chasing? Jesus is trying to get away from them and they're like following him. Come on. It it was worse than being a Hollywood movie star. So when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, take note of this. What did he do? He had what? Compassion on them. We'll come back to that. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began doing, what did he begin doing? He began what? teaching them many things. And it was already late in the day and the disciples came to him. So it's a lonely place. It's an isolated place. It's late in the day. And they came to him and uh, they said, this is a remote place and it's already very late. Send these people away. Doesn't that sound cool? Send them away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something for themselves and you can quit doing everything for them. But he answered, no, you give them something to eat. Oh my goodness, what an ultimate turnaround. Things are not going well. He's tired, he's grumpy. Disciples tired and grumpy. They just want to get away. They get there and they're met with this huge crowd and Jesus says, no, I'm not sending them away. You take care of them. And you want to be a disciple of Jesus, eh? All right. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages or 200 denarii if you're looking at it in the the Greek. Are we to go and spend that much and give them to eat? Now, stop, 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 stop. You just read past this. But what did they say? Are we to go spend that much? It would take 200 denarii. Are we to go spend that much? Why do you think they pulled the number 200 denarii out of the air? I tell you why. Because that's probably how much they had in their account. That's how much they had in the bag to take care of their needs. And, and here he is. Are we supposed to go spend everything we have so we can give everyone a bite? You, you didn't read that, but they, they're literally asking that question. You've asked a lot. You're asking more. So how many loaves do you have? Jesus said. (laughs) So take an inventory, everybody. Tell me what you got. What do you got? The crowd's hungry. They got no food. What do you got? So they search 5,000 men, probably 25,000 men and women. And then what did they come up with? He said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So they went and they did this huge search and they found out and they said, We got 5,000 people. We got five loaves and two fish. Now, there are some people that say this isn't a miracle and that people just pulled their lunches out. I don't believe it for a second. I believe this is a miracle. Uh, If Jesus can be raised from the dead, he can divide loaves and fishes, right? All right. 
So how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out and he said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed the people to sit down in groups on the, the what kind of grass? Come on, green grass. It, those of you that question the authenticity of the, bio, the, the New Testament stories, why in the world would this of the only four, there are four gospels that tell the exact same story. This is the only one that describes the color of the grass. And, and what he's saying is this was very lush green grass at this place. Why? Why would anybody think to describe the grass that way? The other three didn't. Because Peter, who told Mark this story, remembered it and it mattered to Peter. We're going to find some things that matter to John in just a second, but it's funny. So this is eyewitness testimony. He's not making this up. He's telling a story. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. They sat down in groups of how many? Hundreds and what? Fifties. We'll come back to that in a second, but just follow it away in your brain. Everybody's to sit down in a group of 50. All a hundred is, is two groups of 50 that decided to do this together. Okay. Now, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were, they were what? Satisfied. So God not only does a miracle, but he does a miracle that satisfies all of these people. And his disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Because, I, all right, anybody ever have leftovers? Anybody ever eat leftovers? How many of you love leftovers? I do not love leftovers. I like it fresh and hot day one. But you know what? When God does a miracle and God provides, he's going to give you something for tomorrow out of that miracle, even if it's just the memory and the celebration of that miracle. Because God's miracles aren't just for today, they're for your future as well. So, 12 broken, by the way, why 12? Why 12? How many apostles were there? 12. So every one of them had their lunch basket with them. I thought I had heard somebody say this was a big basket. It wasn't. At this instance, it was a little basket. It was their lunch basket. They carried their lunch basket with them, but their lunch baskets were empty. And they went around and they saw, hey, there's a piece nobody touched. And they put that in their basket. And they filled their personal baskets out of what happened to the crowd. There's a lot of good thoughts here. So God, I pray that you'd give us the next couple of moments, the opportunity to hear the thoughts you would speak to us. Let us hear, let us respond. And I pray we would learn and grow in our faith from the words we read in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Give somebody an air high five before you're seated. Say hi to them online. Air high five to you guys. All right. So in John chapter six, the same story is told. By the way, this is the only story, the only miracle repeated in all four gospels other than the resurrection. So here we go. And Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? Different perspective. I think it's interesting because apparently Peter wasn't there for this part of the discussion, but John, Philip, and Andrew were. So he asked him this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him. It would take more than a half a year's wages, 200 denarii, to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy. By the way, every time you see Andrew in Scripture, you know what he's doing? He's bringing something or somebody to Jesus. That's why he was called Andrew the Bringer. He was called Andrew the Bringer because he was always bringing. So he said, hey, look what I found. Here's a boy. And I beat him up and stole his lunch. 
You know how I know he beat him up? Because anybody ever try to take food away from a man? That is, come on, that's not smart. One day, me and Robin, we were splitting some fries. And she was eating the fries. And I'm like, eating the fries. And then she'd get more. And I'd be like, why are you getting more? And so we had literally had a fight over splitting fries. Because it's my food and you don't take my share of food because I'm a man. Come on, any man, can you say amen? All right. So here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. His mama packed him a lunch, peanut butter and jelly. But what's that going to do for 25,000 people? Because 5,000 was the men. You add their women and children and the size of the family is probably 25,000 people. That's more than the size of North Ridgeville when I moved to this town. Think about that. So um, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves. He gave thanks, distributed to all those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. By the way, Jesus did not walk around handing it out. It said in the other passage, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples. His disciples walked around and handed it out. Because the disciples' job was to distribute. It was Jesus' job to divide. Do you think his arms got tired? Do you think about that? He's ripping bread for 5,000 people. You think, anyway, sorry. I read these stories, I think weird thoughts. Sorry, that's one of those weird thoughts. Or did it like divide it, hand it to them and they took it and they're like, Jesus gave me one piece of bread. There's a group of 50. Here you go, guys. Enjoy. <laughs> and then he reached in his pocket and goes, whoa, enjoy. Wouldn't that freak you out? All right. So uh, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks. He distributed them to those who seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, notice this, gather the pieces that are left over. Don't let God's miracles be wasted. At least remember them and celebrate them. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of barley loaves left over. So here we go. Got uh, two groups of people Jesus interacts with in this story. And uh, we're going to handle the first one first and the second one faster. All right? Jesus in the crowd. Now, Jesus put aside his own personal need for rest, recuperation, relaxation, and a staff meeting with his disciples. He had those needs, and he put them aside. He laid them aside so he could interact with this crowd. It was late. We're tired. It's been a long day. We've rowed across the sea. We've taken with these people. You've been teaching them for hours. We're tired. Send them home. Come on. And you thought I preached a long time. When was the last time you come to church in the morning and it's late in the afternoon? You hadn't eat. Come on. If I don't let you go to eat, some of you get grumpy on me and I don't need that. So I'm like, get them out by 1230. They'll be all right. Jesus, he's like, eh, we'll stay till six. <laughs> and they're in the middle of nowhere. They're, they're a long ways away from anywhere. There were these little villages around and they were going to have to go to multiple villages to buy food if they were going to do it. And, and they just said, just the easiest thing to do is just to let them go. Just Jesus, get rid of them. Anybody ever felt that way? Anybody ever have anybody come over to your house and they just won't leave? Anybody know what I'm talking about with that one? They won't leave. And you're like, my brother was like that at my girl, his girlfriend's house, the girl he wound up marrying. And, uh, and Larry would just go, he would open the front door and he would say, um, I don't care where you stay, but you can't stay here. Get out. 
<laughs> I, I was at another guy's house. He said, you got a home? Go to it. <laughs> you know, okay, some guys talk that way, I guess. I, I don't. My wife doesn't let me. I say, you got a home, and she goes, whack. And anyway, all right. But what happened? The disciples are fed up. They're tired. They haven't even had a chance to talk about the miracles they saw. They want to have fun with Jesus, and the crowds are in the way. Everybody's in their way. And what Jesus did, he had five actions that he did for the crowds that display how God deals with us, even when we inconvenience him. First of all, he had compassion on the crowds. Now, the Greek word here is splunknara, splunk. Can you say splunk? It's got that splunk. Now, this is obviously the word that they made up for, for stomach is somebody that literally had cut open a body and seen the intestines. Because splunk, doesn't that sort of describe what you think the intestines look like? And, and that's literally the word for compassion is that your intestines, your guts hurt. Anybody ever lost a job? They walked in, hand you the pink slip. Anybody ever picked up the phone and read the text or somebody told you about your spouse cheating on you or that person that you like cheating on you? Anybody ever, I don't know, you went to a doctor and you got the report? Anybody ever had that? Anybody ever fail a class and know you got to go tell your parents? Anybody ever had any of those things? You know, when those things happen, do, do y'all know that kick in your gut? Do y'all know that feeling, that kick in your gut? Do you know it? Can you identify with it? When Jesus looked at the crowd, he got a kick in his gut. That's what splunkinara means. It, it means his guts hurt because they were sheep without a shepherd. You know what sheep means? It means they were dumb. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I know I'm not supposed to call people dumb, but people are dumb. You're dumb. Not just you. I'm dumb. I can prove it. I've got scars to prove my dumb. I've got a scar. I've got a scar. I've got a scar. I've got scars to prove my dumb. Do you have scars to prove you're dumb? Yes. You know, as sheep, what, what sheep would do, sheep would literally, if they didn't have a shepherd, they would wander around the countryside until they were devoured by wolves. They would get so covered up with their own wool because they were never trimmed that literally they would lay down, couldn't get up and would roll on their backs and die. Or they would get bugs in their ears and because no shepherd would dig the bugs out of their ears or nose, they would literally bang their heads on rocks until they killed themselves. They would jump. If somebody, if one sheep ran over a cliff, there was a story I told a couple of months ago of 2,000 sheep that ran over a cliff following one and they, the first ones died and the second one started bouncing on the, the fluffy sheep at the bottom of the hill. Why am I saying this? Because sheep are dumb. Sheep need direction. And you and I are called God's sheep because I need God's direction. Because I can get so full of myself and my pride and my busyness that I wind up on my back with my little legs up in the air until I die. Anybody ever felt that way? You get so busy you just don't have anything left? 
I, I can get thoughts that fill my head until my head is going crazy. And I'm like, I'm going nuts. This anxiety, this tension, this fire. And I find myself acting in ways that bring death. Anybody ever do that other than me? Come on. This is the world. We're sheep. We're dumb. We're dumb. We are self-destructive because we need somebody to care for us. And God looked at a crowd of 25,000 people and he saw people whose lives were being destroyed, whose marriages, whose worlds, whose health were being destroyed. And he was saying, I care for them. They need to know God's way to live, not their way to live. He was moved with compassion. Now, there are some, come on, how dumb were they? They ran about 20 miles and didn't bring any food. Bringing their kids. Now, a few years ago, me and my wife were in Colorado with our kids. We had a service that night in Denver, so we decided to drive up to Estes Park and to take a hike in the park. So we found a trail that was a two-mile trail, two miles, just simple two miles, no big deal, two miles up, two miles back, great day trip. So we found this trail, and we stopped at Subway because we at least had enough good sense to get food. We stopped at Subway before we went into the park, and then we get our Subway in our bags and our water bottles in our bags, all right, and we're going to take a two-mile hike. The problem is, if you look at her standing there, do you see the angle of that? That's 1,500-foot cliff we climbed up on switchbacks. It was two miles, but it was 95 degrees going up the hill with switchbacks. For It took us, it took us like two and a half hours. I was carrying my four-year-old daughter on my back, and I'm like sweating, sweat pouring off on me. My body hurts. I'm carrying her up the hill, and she's going, look at God's beautiful creation. I'm like... I'm going to kill you. You'll never see five, you know? And we, it was hot. And, and, and Robin's saying, shouldn't we stop and eat? I'm like, no, we're going to get to the top. I am a deep personality. We are going to conquer. We will get to the lake before we eat our subway. Hours later, we come dragging up there. And, yeah, I mean, it was beautiful. It's one of the highlight moments of my life. But we sat down. Have you ever eaten Subway that's been drug up a mountain for two and a half hours? How soggy and blah. It was disgusting. But at least, I, it was a dumb hike, but at least, at least we had enough sense to take lunch. You got 25,000 people that didn't even think about bringing dinner. That's dumb. Could you, could you admit that's dumb? Because <laughs> I get angry. I, I get hangry. I do. All right, so Jesus has compassion on these people that were so dumb that they ran 20 miles without eating dinner. So the second thing he did is he welcomed them. He welcomed them. Now, Jesus always treated normal people with respect and dignity. It says in this passage, see that right there? He welcomed them. He wasn't upset with them. He wasn't rebuking them. He wasn't angry at them. He knew they were dumb. He knew they were lost sheep. He knew those things, but yet he cared about them and he welcomed them. And this is one of our core values here at Harvest Ridge. Come on, that's the reason we're going to do trunk or treat. Come on, last year we did trunk or treat. It was a royal travesty. We had like 5,000 plus people. We were prepared for 700. We got like 5,000. Does anybody remember that last year? Was that a mess? Total mess. We didn't have candy. 
we're like running to stores and buying candy from all this. You wonder what happens to your tithes, all right? There it is. We're buying candy for kids. So, I mean, you know, we, we didn't have a plan for parking. They were backed up all the way down past A Route 83. Lorraine Road was shut down both ways. And we're, it was a mess. So we decided we're going to try it again. We're going to try a little different this time. You know, last year, one of the things I didn't like about it, and the thing I didn't like about it wasn't that mess. The thing I like, didn't like about it is I didn't think we had a clear message for those who came. Because I don't think it's enough just to welcome people. I think we need to give them something they can't get anywhere else. So we want to welcome. We want to be welcome. You know, we're going to try it again. This may be dumb. We may blow up the whole Lorraine Road again. We, if they don't have trick-or-treating here in North Ridgeville, we may get another 10,000 people. I, how are we going to do it? I don't know. We'll figure it out. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to be open and welcoming to anybody that wants to come and be a part. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's who we are. You don't have to fit my agenda for you to be received at Harvest Ridge, all right? We, we want to welcome people who are far from God, people who have different views than us, people who are different colors and backgrounds and ideas and thoughts. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're all welcome. You know why? Because God welcomed me. He's going to welcome you through us, right? So we're going to do it. We're going to throw a party. We got a plan, though. Here's the plan. I'm not going to give you all the plan, but we got a plan. From the time they enter that door right here till the time they go through the back door, just a straight shot through, they're going to get a message. Because all the kids, they're, they're being told things that are fearful. They're being told things that are scary. They're being shown things about demons and, and witches and goblins and stuff like that. We're going to give them a message. And the message is, is that God loves you and he's stronger than the things you're afraid of. We're going to give a message that needs to be heard, which leads us to the next one, because Jesus didn't just welcome people. He taught them. He taught them. It says right here, he welcomed them, and then he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Because, listen, God doesn't want just to love you. He wants to give you a better life. And the only way you're going to get a better life is if you actually embrace his thinking about the world rather than our dumb sheep thinking about the world. Because my dumb sheep thinking gets me in trouble. That, I run off a cliff when I'm a dumb sheep, right? But if God loves me and I listen to him, his teaching, his word, his truth will combat the lies and the narratives and the thoughts in my own head about how to live this life. And we need to hear God's word about our lives and we need to listen to God's word about our life because Jesus not only welcomes the crowd, he teaches them about God's word. Now, God's word will make you uncomfortable. If you never get uncomfortable reading the Bible, it's because you aren't reading the Bible. If you never get uncomfortable when I preach, it's because you aren't listening. Because God will disagree with your thoughts. Because your thoughts are this big and his thoughts fill the heavens. God's views are deeper, higher, and more insightful than your thoughts, views, and narratives. That's why God has things to say about your money, your time, your sexuality, your lust, your marriage, your child-rearing abilities. It's going to be different than what you think. It may challenge the way you think. It will challenge the way you think, but we need to hear God's word. God's word will tell you things about your identity, your anxiety, your worldview, your, your passions, your, your difficulties, will, will challenge your politics. God's word will challenge you. 
And Jesus didn't just have compassion for the crowds and welcome them. He taught them a better way to live. Listen to me. Listen to me. You need to listen to God's better way to live. Your way is not the best way. The God who made you and loves you and died for you and was resurrected and gives us life is the God we need to listen to. The next thing God did is he healed. Jesus healed the crowd. He healed them. It says he welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and then he healed those who needed healing. You know, God is still a healing God. Physical disease. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. You know that? Jesus is still the healer. Jesus said, the the scripture says, I am the God that heals you. God's very nature is to be a healing God. Jesus was a healer everywhere he went. That was part of the revelation of the kingdom of God. His physical bodies were restored. Blind eyes were open. Deaf ears were open and heard. And and lame people were made well. And and dead people were raised. And and people were leprosy were healed. Come on. God did miracles. Did he not? You know, God still works miracles. Do you know that God still heals? So we're going to get really crazy here. All right. If you're in this room and you need a physical healing, you need God to heal you. I want you just to stand to your feet right now. If you're online watching, you need a healing. Stand to your feet right now. Just stand as an act of faith. By the way, faith is not I know God's going to heal me no matter what. Faith is, I know God can heal me and I'm going to ask him to heal me. Even though I've asked 25 times and it hadn't been heard yet, I'm still going to ask. That's faith. You know why? Because you're trusting him for your healing, not you to manipulate him into healing you. (laughs) So you need a healing? Stand up. Last chance. Ready? In the name of Jesus. By the power of the God who spoke and the heavens came into being, that same power is available in this room right now. I ask in the name of Jesus, those who need healing would receive a healing touch from your throne room, that your hand would go forth and you would work and that from this moment on, things that were broken would be fixed and made right and bodies would be restored and that even emotions and minds would be restored in the name of Jesus, that you, Father, would heal. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for your healing touch. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right. Y'all ready? Last thing Jesus did was he fed the crowd. The crowd was fed. John 6, 11, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. That's one of the things we do at Harvest Ridge too. Just so you know, we have harvest hands. If you didn't know this, every month we feed people. If you need food, every second Saturday of the month, we'll bring a bag, put it in your car for you. We got people who serve every month. We got people who sacrifice their time, their money, their effort, their energy, their passion, all so you can be fed. So um, if you know somebody that needs food, every second Saturday of the month, Harvest Hands, every fourth Saturday of the month, we do this dine with us thing where we get, I came in here the other day and they were making sandwiches. And I don't mean sandwiches. You know, when I think sandwich, you know, you get a hoagie bun and you put a couple of pieces of meat on it and some cheese. No, no, no. They were putting like 10 pieces of cheese or 10 pieces of meat on these, these hoagies. And I'm like, man, y'all are really putting a lot of meat on these hoagies. And they said, if we're going to feed people, we're going to do it right. I was like, that's Harvest Ridge right there, bro. Come on. I, I started getting all Pentecostal up in there, you know, <laughs> asking God. Anyway, sorry. So we do, we support things like community care, you know, that feeds people locally. We support Convoy of Hope. We're going to take an offering in a couple of weeks. 
part of that offering is going to go to Convoy of Hope so that people around the food that ha- world that have no food can actually get food. I mean, we're not talking about they don't have a little bit of food. We're saying they have no food, and they're actually fed through Convoy of Hope around this world. Kids that would starve to death live because of the offering we're going to take in a couple of weeks. And I know some of you are like, there he is, want more money again. No, I think if you have a house for your car, you could probably share a little bit with somebody that doesn't have food. So what does he do? The crowd, the crowd was taught, the crowd was fed, but you know what? He invites all of the crowd to take a next step and be the other group of people that he dealt with. And this was his disciples. So Jesus spent some time with his disciples. What did he do with them? Well, they were there to refresh themselves. They were going to go away and get alone with Jesus. When was the last time you were alone with Jesus? I got a little place down the, down the street here that I run to and I take a walk and I hide. I leave my phone in the car and I just walk and I talk to Jesus. I, I, I tell my wife, me and dad are going to have a talk about family business. <laughs> I like that. Me and dad are going to go have a talk about family business. Me and my heavenly father. We're going to talk about family business, my, my family, my, my world. When was the last time you got alone with Jesus and you, you and him just had a talk for 30 minutes an hour? You talk, you talk for a bit and then you listen to him talk because having a talk, I don't know. You ever been in a talk with somebody that all they do is talk? It's no much fun, right? So when you're talking with Jesus like that, what should you probably do? You should probably talk a little bit and then say, what do you want to say? Anyway, so the disciples, their first calling of a disciple is to be with Jesus. And then what happened? Well, they, uh, they were given the job. They were told to meet the need. They were told to meet the need of this crowd in two ways because Jesus saw that there was a crowd that had a need and there were disciples there to meet the need. And he told them, you have charge of organization and distribution. (laughs) When you step into discipleship, you become responsible for taking care of other people's needs. He made them sit down in groups of 50. Why did he make them sit down in groups of 50? You know, this is the core verse that's the core value behind our, our life groups. Because you know what a group of 50 is? They had all their family with them and the size of families and all that back then, a group of 50 would have been about seven to 10 families, seven to 10 families. I got it. Seven to 10 families, seven to 10 families with uh, all the kids and everybody. That's not a lot, right? Now a group of seven to 10 families would be somewhere around the 30 people mark. That's a life group. Why did he have them sit down in groups of 50? Because if you're in a group of 50 with seven to 10 families, you got one person responsible for making all seven to 10 get their stuff, and then their responsibility is to take care of their extended family. Are you following me here? And there's a way here that Jesus said, take this bread and everybody will get fed if we make them sit down in groups of 50 with one person that's a leader of the group of 50, and we got the disciples making sure the groups of 50, the leaders are getting their, their bread. Do every one of us should be in a small group. Why should we be in a small group? Because in a small group, everyone knows you and you know everyone. Now, come on, you can't know the four, 500, 600, 700 people, however it is, pre, post, mid COVID. You can't know that many people that attend this church, but you can know 30. Correct? You can know seven to 10 adults, right? You can do that. So everybody should be in a small group because that way everybody gets their needs met. Why should you be in a small group? Before we get to that, God might be talking to you about leading. 
You have a call to leadership to lead a small group. If you are called to lead a small group, do one of two things. Either go onto the events page at Harvest Ridge and uh, fill out on that events page. There, there's a, a form you can fill out there and just ask the pastor in charge to get back to you and say, I'm interested in leading. Or you can take one of these cards which are in front of you. It says new here on this side. On the other side, it says count me in. You can say, I want to lead a life group and, and put your name and a phone number there so we can get to you. Give it to anybody out front that has a name tag, all right? So if you're called to lead and God's called you to lead a small group, then lead because your job isn't to take care of everything. Your job is just to stay in touch with seven to 10 people. That's not super duper hard, is it? You just facilitate it happening. And there are some of you, you're like, all right, why should I do it? Well, I'll tell you why. All right, Dan Thompson is, uh, is in the leadership of the, the um, um, Cleveland Clinic Police He's, he's one of the top three people there. And do y'all remember the debates that were just happening this past week? Where did they happen? At Cleveland Clinic. So Dan's been working like 80, 100 hours a week away from his family, all the pressure. By the way, Mike, Mike Doolin is in charge of SWAT for the entire southern region of Cleveland. And, and he and Dan have been talking a lot because they were working together to keep that, that safe this past Tuesday. Right? Y'all... Do you know how I know that? Do you know how I know that? Because those guys are in my small group. And we work out together and we talk to each other and we, guess what, I've been, guess what I've been doing for the last month? Regularly in my prayers, who I'm, I've been praying for. Those two guys, you didn't even know they were going through this, did you? You didn't know it, did you? Did you? Did you? But wouldn't you want somebody, wouldn't you want somebody praying for you if you had that kind of responsibility? If you're in a small group, somebody will. If you're not, they're in my life group. They're in my small group. Guess what? I know what's going on in their lives. I'm praying with them about the problems. By the way, those same guys, one day I was down working out with them because we, we get together to work out the same group of guys. You know, we've got this larger life group and this group of guys and we're working out. And I was just, I was complaining. I know that's hard to believe I was complaining. But I was complaining because I hadn't had a day off in like a month. And finally, one of them just said to me, you know, you hadn't taken a day off in a month. I said, you tell us that we need to have a Sabbath and you're not doing it. You're being a hypocrite. Why don't you do what you say? When was the last time you had somebody talk to you like that, huh? Huh? When's the last? But because you're in a small group with them, you give them permission to have that kind of relationship with you. You all follow me? How many of you need to be in a small group? Every one of you. Every one. You're saying, well, I don't know how to do it. I, I, I don't understand. Well, well on November, 11, uh, November 1st, we're going to start an essentials class. What is the essentials class? That is a class that's going to happen up there that's going to teach four core scriptural teachings that we believe as a church. It's going to happen at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And, and guess what? Not everybody will go to it, but there may be a few of you that you say, I need to get in a life group and I really don't know what to do. And I really am not sure what the church believes. You know what? Go to the essentials class and we're going to try to form a small group out of that essentials class. So after you're done, we can have a life group grow out of it. Wouldn't that be really good? And if you're interested in that, get that same card and do it. Are y'all listening today? All right, come on. This is practical, I know. And you know what? I don't care. I curse you clock again. Listen, listen. I worked. I read... I had a stack of books I took home and I read the stack this big so I could bring you more than just stuff, okay? So let me take a couple of moments and give you some of the stuff, all right? Y'all are okay with that? Good, I'm going to, whether you like it or not. All right, I'm gonna end with this one. The second thing 
the disciples had to do was this. They had to give what they had. Now, you need to follow this. There's 5,000 people, 5,000 men, 25,000 people they need to eat. They don't have any food. They find a little boy. All they've got from all this 25,000 people is five loaves and two fishes. And, and Jesus, they don't know this yet. And Jesus says, feed them. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You're looking at an impossible situation. Jesus says, feed them. And you're like, what? How are we supposed to do that? If I empty my bank account, I'm not going to make a difference. I, I, this problem is too big. And Jesus says, you're looking at you. Look at the problem. Do you know that a, good, a problem well-defined is 90% solved? Most of us never solve our problems because we never look at the problem enough to find the answer in the problem. Where do they find the five loaves and the two fishes? In the problem. Oh, come on, this is preachable. Y'all listen, you have a problem in your world and you're trying to solve it by running here and there and finding somebody to fix it. But God will say to you, look at the problem. Take a good long look in it because I've already provided the answer to the miracle in the problem. The problem has the solution if you will listen and submit it to me. Do you know what we do, though? We here solve the problem, and we have the same poverty mentality as the disciples. That poverty mentality says, we have a problem. I can't fix it because I don't have enough. All the while, you have 200 denarii, which is year, uh, half a year's wages. But no, that's not enough. And I think that's the answer. And some of you, because I mentioned money, you're like, yeah, it's all he wants is my money. That is a poverty mentality that is robbing you of seeing the answers God has for you. Quit worrying about your money because the God who made heaven and earth made all the things that are valuable. And if he thinks you need them, he can perform a miracle on your one piece of bread to make it last for 25,000 people if he needs to. Quit approaching your problems with an I can't attitude. All right, you can't, but do you trust the God who can? Have you ever seen him do it before? Can I pull out a basket here? I'm going to pull out a basket. Do you, do you know the story of the widow's oil? Y'all remember that? This widow, she said, the, the, I'm going to die and all my kids are going to be sold as slaves. And the prophet said, go, go sit. What do you have? What do you have? And she said, I don't have anything. Listen to poverty. I don't have anything except a little oil. God says, okay, take your little oil, get a bunch of pots. The prophet said, take the little bit of oil, the little you got in the problem. Your problem is you got nothing except a little. Pour it out. And they poured and poured and poured and filled up all those jugs enough to sell and pay all of our debtors because the problem has the solution from God already in it. Quit running around trying to get comfort from everywhere else. Look at the problem through the eyes of God and God will help you solve it. So a couple years ago, we were turned down. We, uh, we have 22 and a half acres on the other side of the interstate over here. Through a miraculous gift, God gave us the land. And it was, it was there, and we thought, man, we're going to move the church over there. We're going to go build on those 25 acres. That was our plan. 
we had been saving, so we had saved about $800,000. But to use that land over there, we needed sewer because we're on septic system in this part of town. So we started investigating with the city how we can get sewer over there and how we can get it there. And, and man, we started, you know, we drew up these plans. Jim Kilby drew up plans of how we could run a sewer line down Lorraine Road. We could run it under the road and over there. And we had to do that because we had to sell this place if we were going to be able to build over there. You follow me? Because it was going to cost a million dollars to take care of the crap. So here we were. We knew we couldn't build here on this site. The reason we couldn't build here is three times we'd approached the EPA and all three times we approached the EPA, the EPA said, no, the maximum size sanctuary you can build on this site is 250 seats. That was not once, but three times. Every time we tried to build something bigger, it was no, no, no. We even filled out paperwork one time, they said no. So here we are, we're thinking we're gonna build a sewer line and put all this money and go through the change of location and all this stuff. And then God sends a rain on Northridgeville, six inches and a half hour and the whole city flooded and all the sewer systems on that side of town backed up. City council said, no, 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 not today. <laughs> you're not building any, you're not putting another drop of sewer into that line. Whoa. So we're dead in the water. We're at three services already. We don't have room to expand. We don't, we, we don't know what we're gonna do. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, what's your problem? I said, the problem is, is that we can't deal with a septic system to get a bigger system. And he said, what's your problem? We can't. And he said, quit telling me what you can't do. Call them. I'm like, what? He said, call the EPA. We've already been turned down three times. You're not, come on. In the 10 years since the time before we had been turned on in that time, those were eight of those years were Obama's administration. And we know that the EPA got more stringent during those. No way, no way. He said, call them. So we called them. So guess what? They sent a guy that had been on the job one month and he comes to our building and he used, looks at our water registry, our usage and all that kind of stuff and the system in the, in the condition it was in. And he actually looks at the book rather than making a political decision. And you know what he said? He said, you can build a 400 seat sanctuary. And we got the letter written and we were able to build this space. <laughs> So we didn't waste $800,000 on garbage. It went into the ground on this place. Actually, it went in dealing with the water. Anyway, that's a whole different ball of wax. But what my point is, is that the answer to the miracle was in the problem. God already had a plan. And I will never forget the old parking lot. I sat back there in my truck one day. And I remember looking at that little old building that we had, and I remember looking at it and saying, God, if you ever pull this off, I will never doubt you again. That's how impossible it felt. So a couple weeks ago, I was walking through this place, and I was like, God, I'm not sure if you can do it. He said, hold on, hold on. What did you say? Come on, boy. What problem are you facing today? The answer's in the problem. Jesus already planned the answer. 
He knew the answer before you were ever born, before you ever encountered it. He had already planned the answer. And what you do is you look at the times you've seen him do a miracle. You pull out your basket and say, hey, I'm going to munch on yesterday's miracle knowing that tomorrow's miracle is going to happen. Come on, how many of you are facing a problem or issue? You need a miracle today. Jesus, I pray right now as we just lift our hands as an act of surrender, saying we need your help in this miracle. We need your help. Jesus, we look back and we say, you are the God who did it then. You're the God that'll do it again. You are the God that was able, Lord Jesus, you are able to take a couple of loaves from a boy and able to turn it into a feast for 25,000 people. You are the God of the impossible. Nothing is impossible for you. And we lift our hands and we lift our hearts and we thank you that you are the God who is able and who works even in the problem to bring the miracle. Amen. Hey, with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, I want to ask a question. If you're in this room today and Jesus can't work a miracle like that in your life because you don't have faith in him to be your Lord, would you take the first step? Would you take the first step today and would you simply trust him as your Lord and Savior? If that's you, you need to receive Jesus as your Savior. Would you just lift your hand? I want to pray with you right now. If you're watching online, just type believe to that text number. Yes, yes. Are there others? Right now, you need to receive Jesus. He's your Lord, your Savior. Make him your Lord right now. Everybody pray with me. Nobody prays alone at Harvest Church. Everybody pray out loud. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my problems. I give you my hopes. I give you my dreams. I give you my passions. Now give me your life. I thank you for your life. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your life. Be my Lord. Amen. If you prayed that, God made a divine exchange with you. Would you stand with me and could we just celebrate? And come on, if you're a, if you're facing a problem, we sing this song. I want your faith just to rise up in your heart and begin to pray like you mean it. Lord, do it again. Do it again.